Friends, welcome to Bet On You Radio, where every episode we have an incredible guest sharing inspiring stories to give you the tools and strategies you need to bet on yourself and win. I am Ben Whiting here with the legendary Angie Morgan Witkowski. Angie, you are looking refreshed, you are looking revitalized. What is your secret? Spring break. This was. <laughs> <laughs> my family and I took a vacation out west. There were no roller coasters. There was no beach or pool. It was us immersed in nature and it was breathtaking and it was necessary. I didn't realize that I needed a break this badly. How about you? When was the last time you took a break? Because I know for both of us, Q1 was really busy with client work and keynote and workshops. How do you chill out? What do you do? Yeah, Q, Q1, it was, it was a great quarter for me. Uh, the way I chill out is because I'm an extrovert. If anyone here is familiar with Myers-Briggs, I'm an ENFP. Uh, but hanging out with friends and just having quality time where there's no pressure to get anything done. We're just relaxing, playing games, having dinner. That recharges my batteries the most. Uh, in addition, going outside, exercising always gets it done. The uh, I have a number of friends right now who are trying to convince me to, to look into an e-bike. So that might be something that happens in the next couple of weeks or two. But, uh, but yeah, that's it for me. Just hanging out quality time with quality people. That does it. E-bikes are the thing. It's so funny. We went mountain biking. Uh, we went to Moab, which is a mountain biking community in Utah, and we rented bikes. And I thought I had a really good bike, and then I had a really good bike. And I'm now in my mind, I'm like, how do I get this bike? So if you see my husband, tell him I want to buy this bike, and or my birthday's coming up, and he can buy it for me. Oh, your, when's your birthday again? Oh, it's not really coming up. It's September, but it's always coming up, right? It was coming up September 24th. It's always within six months, one way or the other. <laughs> well, you know, so yeah. So if you're listening to this and you see Ed at Morsels, because he we own Morsels, he works there all the time. Just say, about that bike, Ed, Angie really wants a bike. Subtle. We can do that. You can do that for us. We're going to manage the relationship. We're going to manage the project goals, which is a great segue to our guest today, Andy Kaufman, the, co the host of the People and Projects podcast. I am excited to have this guy here. He owns his own podcast, so I know he's going to be a fun, invigorating guest. He's got lots of great advice. What are you excited about to learn from Andy today? Just how to plan and set goals and get started. I think that's really why we wanted to have Andy on the podcast, just to share his inspiration. He is a people person. You're not going to miss this. You could tell by the first few sentences. He's got the zest for life, but he's got great tips on how to build relationships, build influence, and achieve your goals. So, Let's get started. Andy, welcome to Bet On You Radio. Oh man, Angie and Ben, thank you so much. I really appreciate the invitation. I love. Oh, it's great. Your, oh, I love your background, Andy. If you don't, because I know you focus a lot on delivering great guidance and advice to project managers, and mm -hmm. project managers sounds kind of intuitive. Like I get what project managers do; they manage projects. Mm -hmm. But do you mind giving <laughs> us a little bit of information on your background? Yeah, yeah, that's actually a, a funny way of saying it because somebody told me if you want to know what somebody does, say their title in reverse. You know, so uh, airline pilot, pilot's airplane. Yeah, but um, I don't know what that says about vice presidents, president of vices. I'm not sure, sure that it actually works. But, but uh, I, you know, I've never run into somebody who at age eight said, you know, mommy, someday I want to be a project manager. You know, I've, I've never run into that person. But I started as a software developer. And in software, we often thought of our work as projects. And so I, my title wasn't necessarily project manager at the time, but I got into it that way. Construction tends to think 
of their work as projects. But the truth is, uh, Angie, writing a book, Ben, the speaking you do, uh, the podcast, uh, everyone listening to us today is a project and probably have the title project manager. And so I got into that field, just the accidental project manager, like most people do, and was eventually promoted into a, a manager and a director and a vice president. But throughout the whole time before I started my company in 2001, it's project management was core to how I think of the world beats a path to people who get things done. That, that's really my passion. How do we get things done? And if you can get things done instead of talk about it, which which gets to the point of your book and really the podcast as well. That's that's where my heart beats. That's fantastic. And I love that you went from project management. And now the title of your podcast is The People and Projects, because Angie and I have always talked about how whenever you're trying to solve a problem, whenever you're trying to achieve something, two things are always happening, whether you're intentional about them or not. You're always working to achieve results and you're always managing relationships. And what we have found is one isn't more important than the other, but they have to be balanced. And if you neglect one, it inevitably will impact the other. Uh, when was, was there a story or a revelation that kind of helped you kind of realize that to make sure you put that people in the title with the projects? Well, that's, that's a really good question, Ben, because my, one of my sons, we've got five kids. And so one of our sons took an undergrad class in project management. And I just, <laughs> he showed me the book and I'm like, nobody does this. You know, it, it just was so <laughs> It's so irrelevant when you looked at that. Oh, man, how do you even stay awake in this class? And over time, I never really ran into somebody that said my project failed because I didn't have a kick and looking Gantt chart, you know, or whatever. <laughs> the projects failed because we didn't manage the stakeholder relationships. And I loved how you said that, Ben. I think that really comes down to it. And, and I want to make sure I got it because it's it's. Get was it get results and manage relationships with it? Yeah, it's it's a balance of achieving results and yeah. managing relationships. Yeah, right on. Yeah, that that that's really it. You know, we actually we actually joke in our classes about so we do project management workshops and leadership workshops, but in the project management workshops, I say you know, we might be an hour into it, and I, and I say you might be wondering when do we start talking about project management because it sounds like a leadership class or management class, and the truth is it is a it is a leadership or management class cloaked as a project management class because so much of project management is that it's how do you influence people? How do you build relationships with people? I, I would argue that you're exactly right, that it's the balance, but it's really, really difficult to get results if you don't do the other one. I love the idea that we're talking about too, because we talk about leadership, not as a job title, but right. it's someone's ability to influence outcomes right. and inspire others. Yeah. And I remember too, in grad school, when I went off to go get my MBA, is that there were business plans and project ideas, but it always comes down to the people. So I'm gonna ask you a simple question. Mm -hmm. How do, well, simply stated, how do you influence people? Because so much of our goals and visions and dreams and plans connect with people that we need to move with us and move along with us to achieve a result. Hmm. How do we influence people? What have you discovered with your work? Uh, it's such a good question because some of my favorite guests, besides you, Angie, of course, some of my favorite guests on the podcast have been <laughs> authors and researchers on influence. And not a single one of the books has been clones of the others. And so I, I think what that comes down to is there's not just one thing that does it, but I would say that one idea from Peter Bregman's book, how, so check out, how about this for a title? You can change other people. 
that's and it sounds presumptuous or maybe even arrogant, but but is that a dating book? Is that a marriage book? Is that a children's book? What is that? It has a lot of relationships, but it's really a change management book. But 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 here, here's the interesting thing to me. He goes, you have to be an ally, not a critic. If there's even a hint of critic, you're not going to be able to influence somebody. Yeah. And, and so this idea of how can, so if I'm trying to, if I'm trying to influence a client, if I'm trying to influence a a team member, if, if there's even a hint of the fact that I, I, I'm coming off as critical of them, forget about it. If If I do anything to drop their status, forget about it. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not gonna, it's not gonna work. So there's not, there's not an easy formula to influence, but, uh, one, one guest, they wrote a book called persuade and they, they say a lot of it comes down to trust, which is really right? trust. And so how do you, they have a whole formula for trust, which I won't get into, but the, the denominator of their formula is self-interest. And so if self-interest, if I come off as I am self-interested as the influence, game over. It's just not going to work. And so, you know, Angie, I, I, my impression of just observing you on social media, observing you, uh, the podcast episodes I've listened to, you're, you're, you don't come off as self-interested. It is, how do we provide value? How do we invest in others? How do we praise Michigan? You know, it's like, how do we, how, how do we, how do we lift other people up? And that, that is much more influential than I am the smartest person in the room. You are so lucky to be around me. You know, that, forget about it. I don't know if you know this, Andy, Ben's background is in street performing in the city streets of Chicago. He was a magician and mentalist after he went to college. So again, college educated <laughs> magician and mentalist. And I imagine, Ben, this is probably why you're so successful at the work that you do, is that you have to be an ally to people to draw a crowd. Like you can't, you know, show up on a street corner and start criticizing, hey, you, you wore that today. What didn't you wear? You know, like those things that people, <laughs> I'd love to hear all that message to you. Yeah. It's so interesting that you say, you know, your self-interest is what can kill trust. Uh, and this is something I actually learned, uh, we won't name names, but uh, from some pickpockets I knew because uh, yes, I went, <laughs> I went to undergrad, but my grad school was the sidewalk and pickpockets. I always say, you know, how do you get so close to people without raising a red flag? And he's like, you know, for Americans, especially it's about three feet is how you have before you're in their personal space and they feel it. But if you could put the focus on something that's not you, excuse me, I lost my glasses. Can you tell me what time this is? Can you tell me where I am on this map? Now we're allies working towards a common goal, which allows for proximity. And it, I thought about that for a long time and how do we apply it to things other than, you know, taking watches, but the, uh, <laughs> but it, it's, And I think what really helps is, you know, whether you're in sales or you're networking, you know, it's one thing to say, hi, my name is Ben. I'm in sales. Here's my business card. It's something else to be like, hey, have you tasted the appetizers here? Like finding those little ways that we could be allies and look at something together as opposed to immediately get into a transaction, I think is uh, one of the things I learned. (laughs) And and actually, even if you say to somebody, hey, could you help me with this map? In a subtle way, you are saying, I value you. I'm raising you up. And in uh, David Rocket, he's the Neural Leadership Institute guy. He, he has this model called SCARF, and the S of SCARF stands for status. And if we do anything to kick somebody in the S, <laughs> so to speak, <laughs> <laughs> you, kick, you kick somebody in the S, and you're going to have trouble. But if you go, hey, I, 
there's something that I think wired into us as humans. Hey, I need your help and people want to help. And so you're not saying, Hey, I'm trying to influence you. So you can see how any of this could be used for manipulation. I'm going to think a little bit differently about my, my wallet when I'm watching a street performer now, thanks to you, Ben, but he was a pickpocket. That's just what he did. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But, no, but, I, but I think this idea of raising the status of people around us, you know, raising, raising their status, truly celebrating with them. It takes so little to compliment somebody on social media. It takes so little to, in a meeting to go, hey, man, you know, Angie, that's a great point. Thank you. Or, you know, it takes so little. I'm sure you're familiar with the research, just like Angie and I are on, you know, the recent research on feedback, positive and negative feedback, and how within a culture, positive feedback is actually a lot more important than negative feedback. The uh, Tell me about you in terms of project management, in terms of influence, how do positive feedback, compliments, how do, have you found that they serve uh, and can help us all? Yeah. You know, I, the situations where I'm in, where I get to, you know, tell, recognize people, those are actually generally pretty easy. Although I interviewed Dr. Robert Cialdini, he's the, like the godfather of influence. And I asked him of all the stuff that he talks and writes about, what's the most difficult for him to do himself? And he said, this point here, he goes, I'll think in my mind, my colleague made a great presentation but it doesn't travel to my mouth. And so, you know, I, I've, I've had to learn, I've had to learn this, Ben, is that gratitude that goes unexpressed is experienced by other people as ingratitude. And so I might feel it, I might feel it, but if I don't express it, it doesn't matter. And so that, that goes with my wife, that goes with my kids, that goes with my colleagues, it goes with my clients, it goes with you two, you know? It's like, if, if we don't express it, so one is we have to recognize it and express it for sure. The, the more tricky situation is, I think, uh, when there's a screw up or a mistake or something like that, how do we navigate that without that negative feedback that you brought up? And I heard it first from Marshall Goldsmith. I don't know if he came up with it, but the idea of feed forward instead of feedback. And as cheesy as that sounds, it revolutionized how I parent. And so feedback would be like, I can't believe, so let's say to my kid, uh, I can't believe when that person greeted you and asked you questions, you, you just stayed quiet. I can't believe you did that. What was going on in your mind, right? That's feedback. Feed forward would be, ah, that's probably a little uncomfortable there, wasn't it? Yeah. So the next time we're in a situation where someone asks you a question like this, what do you think would be a good way to do it? And so it's feed forward, looking forward instead of feedback. And for some reason, that simple idea, it's not necessarily gratitude per se, but it's a situation where it's trying to make it more positive and actionable because whether it's a child, a colleague, a team member, they keep, they, first of all, they probably know they screwed up. And so the longer I, you know, wail on that, the, it's not helping anything and, and, and they can't change it. But the feed forward idea is a way to like, well, get them, get them involved with the brainstorming of it. So those ideas of how do I make sure that I'm expressing the gratitude? Because if I don't, it's a problem. And how do we take situations where it might be easy to get negative and move it more positive? The feed forward idea that revolutionized for sure how I parent, but also in rela other relationships. Takes the idea of feedback away from this kind of concept of an accountability witch hunt and turns it more into a coaching learning experience. 
Right. Somebody told me recently they got a message from their boss. We need to talk. You're like, oh. <laughs> yeah. Like those those are words that would send a chill in you. And it wasn't even a bad thing. But the way we go about things like that, I'm sure the CEO was or the executive wasn't like, how do I mess with that person today? No, but we say oh. things sometimes in a way that messes with people that we don't even know. I heard the idea too of just being able to say like, Andy, Friday, I just got to have some time on your calendar. Do you have time to talk? And then it's Monday. And then all week you're thinking, what do you need to talk about? And it's nothing. And it can be mentally distracting. And so I love that most of our conversation about project management is just making sure people feel nourished, mentally speaking, so they want to work with you so they can think good intentions when they see you. I, I'd also love to hear from you too, because so much of the work that you do is helping people start and accomplish goals. And what I've discovered in the process, people do have these amazing ideas of what they hope and want to do, but getting started can be really difficult. What are some of your best practices for getting started on a goal, an idea, or a dream that you have for yourself? So it's a great question because it's inevitable you hear somebody go, you know, that idea, I thought of that 10 years ago, right? <laughs> but they didn't do anything 10 years ago on it. And uh, I think we, I bet everybody listening to us can relate to a situation where you're like, I know I need to get started on this. It's so big. I'm feeling anxious and it can paralyze us. You know, it, it can paralyze us. So I've, I've learned the hard way or, but it's a good lesson is that sometimes the best antidote for anxiety is action. Instead of sitting back and worrying about it, like take some action. So David Allen's thing is just take one step. Don't worry about the next 50 or hundred steps. Just take one step, which I think there's wisdom in that. But from a project management perspective, we talk about putting stakes in the ground. So if you think of it this way is you, in because in, uh, I interviewed this guy who wrote a book called uh, The Procrastination Equation was the name of the book. And he shows a chart that the way things go is if this is the due date out here, you know, further out, what happens is it's pretty flat line as far as motivation until you get closer to the due date and then motivation peaks. And so the way to get around that is have intermittent milestones. We call it just stakes in the ground along the way. And then motivation goes up as you hit each one of those stakes. So if somebody, if somebody said, you know, I've got a, I've got a goal for the second half of this year. Like this is something I really want to do. In project management, we might officially call it a work breakdown structure, but really, really what it comes down to beyond the, the academic part of it is you take that goal, you break it down, you break it down, you break it down into smaller chunks and you focus on just that. I can get my arms around that. It feels anxiety producing to try to think of all that, but what can I do to just get my arms around this? And so, you know, starting a podcast, when you started your podcast, like, oh man, or actually starting a podcast is easy. Keeping it going is hard, <laughs> but, but like, <laughs> how, how, do you, how do you do that? Well, you break it down. Like, how are we going to do this? You break it down. And then, and then what you find is getting it smaller, you get this sense of progress and progress is very motivating. This, this sense of maybe even if we're not where we should be, we're not where we were. And so you get this feeling that we are making progress. It gives you opportunity for feedback along the way. So I would say the single biggest thing I've learned about that is having the idea is important, but breaking the work down. I've never been perfectly comfortable with how to eat an elephant one bite at a time, but it's that idea. How do you, how do you deliver this initiative? How do you add a new service to your business? How do you do that? Break it into smaller parts. Get that done. Get feedback on it. Make sure we're on the right track and then go and then go. It's a simple idea, but it, it's powerful. 
Oh, it's great. It's, it makes me think of what you said a little earlier about unexpressed gratitude is experienced by others as being unexpressed. And I heard someone once talking about ideas that knowledge without action is the right. same thing as not knowing because right. uh, that's how the world experiences it. I think that's great. And it's really funny what you said about procrastination. A friend of mine the other day, uh, he and I both struggled with procrastination, said, I'm so glad something more important than organizing my office came up today so I could organize my office as a means to procrastinate from the other task. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I don't know. I, I bet the two of you have said this before because I've said it before is I work better under pressure, right? Have you said that? Before? Yeah, I work better under pressure. And I interviewed the uh, Franklin Covey's global what was it, productivity practice uh, lead or whatever it was. And she goes, do you think you do better work under pressure? I'm like, I think so. She goes, no, you don't. I'm like, I think I do. <laughs> she goes, no, you don't. <laughs> and, and I don't well, convince me. She goes, you feel more urgency under pressure, but you don't do better work. And I'm like, that's so right. That's so right. Because if I would have gotten stakes in the ground, I would have gotten some of that work done before. And then I maybe without that, maybe I released it with typos. Or for, for y'all and for me in the podcast, maybe a lot more post-production because I was not as prepared as I should have been, you know? And so, so we do better work if we're more prepared. That's why I always read the book before I interview somebody, because like, I want to know exactly what this person's mindset is, what's their philosophy and, you know, how can I break those ideas down? I, I just, but if I, if I waited until an hour before <laughs> the interview, not going to happen. I want to talk about planning. When I started in the Marine Corps, most of our study and focusing was on putting together a really good plan and coordinating that plan with everybody. So I'd love to hear from you because obviously success will happen more efficiently, more productively with a plan. What do you got What do you got on plans? What can you help us with? Yeah. You know, I'm trying to think of a military example, but I, I believe a Colin Powell quote was diversity in council, unity in command. And that idea translates to projects in that, let's say I'm at home, we're, we've got a trip overseas we're planning in just a couple of weeks and I might put together this plan and then my wife looks over my shoulder and goes, hey, uh, you forgot that. I'm like, oh, how'd you do that? You know, like, <laughs> I was, I was working, I, I thought I had such a good plan and another perspective added so much. And so one of the reasons why plans can struggle is because we're taking it just from our perspective and we're not having enough diversity in council. And so in project management, we talk in terms of stakeholders, which if we looked at a dictionary, it would probably be those who hold a stake, <laughs> but it doesn't really help you that much. But, but if you think of it, think of it, we think of it in our classes, we, the way we try to teach is anybody's going to be impacted, anybody who could impact us. And by identifying them and getting them involved, and I know sometimes people are concerned about too many cooks in the kitchen, so to speak, but even if we don't involve them in every meeting, if we make sure that we're looking at the project from their perspective, because especially, you know, individual business owners, they might think this is the most brilliant idea. And then you pass it by customers and it falls flat. Why? Because we didn't, we didn't find a way to frame it from their perspective. And so uh, when, see, it actually was a Stephen Covey quote that said, no involvement, no commitment. That says Stephen Covey, no involvement, no commitment. And Margaret Wheatley said, people support what they create. So not only does it help us come up with a better plan because we get these different perspectives. Uh, and, and by the way, we can put together most of the plan, but we get those other perspectives. We also get more commitment if those people who are involved in the planning 
are then involved in the execution of it as well. Cause then they're not getting some plan. They don't get it and go, who's the idiot that put this plan together? You know, they can't say that because maybe it's the boss, but if we involve them, then they, you know, they feel like their fingerprints are on it. When our kids help with dinner, it's the best meal they've ever had. You know? It's like, because they were involved in the whole process. Those are five mouths to feed. Wow. It's funny you talked about diversity and counsel too. One of the things I remember from General Petraeus's leadership style is that he made a point of surrounding himself with kernels of different disciplines, and he would affectionately call them kernels of knowledge. Mm, that's clever, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ben, how does that sound for you? Because I know, like, again, with, with the work that you do, the work that I do, sometimes it can be very solitary. How do you, um, Ben, involve different perspectives to help you? Yeah, and this, well, this goes back to whether I'm doing a keynote or whether it was street performing. I love that quote, people support what they help create. Andy, who did you say said that originally? Margaret Wheatley. And and I'm pretty sure it's pretty close to word to word. People support what they create. You are a quote machine, friend. That is amazing. Well, it's just because yeah. that it means so much to me because left to my own devices, I'll just do it myself. You know, I I, I think my ideas are brilliant until I pop them by the I love it. Yeah. The when it comes to to me, I'm a, I'm like at least in the top two experts. The, uh, <laughs> is Aaron your wife number one? Is she the expert? Or my dog scooter, one or the other. No, Aaron is. I'd say that. Yeah, Aaron is. <laughs> but yeah, people support what they help create from a street performing standpoint. If we're going to go way back, uh, my whole goal of street performing was to make sure that everyone there felt like a community that I was part of. I wasn't mm. putting myself on a pedestal. We're all creating something together. Same thing I try to do with my keynotes. And I think, Angie, you and I, in any training we've done together, we try to make sure that we're not on pedestals right from the get-go. We make sure we understand what people want to learn and we'll adjust on the fly to do that because I think people don't like to be talked at, but they love to have conversations and they love to give their ideas. And when you give them the ability to do that, they just get more supportive of the overall process. That's so good. You know, the R of SCARF is relatedness. And so the idea is if people feel like they're part of the in-group, so if, they, if people feel like they're outsiders, or in this case, like you said, if you're on the pedestal and they're not, that you know, it's that that difference there can get in the way. But if well, imagine if a boss would say, "Hey, you know, Angie and Ben, I, 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 this is a plan I've been thinking about, but I really want your take on this. What what am I missing? You know, what can we do to make this better?" I mean, <laughs> that's that's pretty powerful. If we truly, if we're not. You know, if we're not just going through, if we're doing it gratuitously, people know about it. But if we are doing it and we gener uh, genuinely want to include that, that's powerful. I was thinking like with goals too. I mean, thinking about for you who is listening to the podcast right now, think about some of the goals that you have. Maybe it's running a 5K. Maybe it's doing a career change. Maybe it's doing a side hustle. Anything that you want to do, there's somebody out there doing it right now. And trying to get perspective on it, I call those secondhand experiences because we've only had so many firsthand experiences in this life. I mean, I know what I've done and I know what I don't know. And getting information on the things that I don't know is incredibly invaluable. So again, if you invite people into your gold journey, it can be illuminating. Sometimes it can be maybe not helpful or maybe not encouraging, but at least you're getting information. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I, uh, I just this morning went into the AI tool that's been very popular, ChatGPT, and I said, here's an idea. I want you to criticize it as if you are Steve Jobs, Elon Musk, and Jeff Bezos. And uh, it 
tore the idea apart. What was the idea? Well, the, we, have a, we have a product that is uh, oriented towards students, high schoolers and college, because we feel like so much of project management is not taught, but it's a valuable life skill. So practical skills. So we, have a, we have a product and it's done well. The people that have bought it are really helpful, but no high school or college student is Googling <laughs> project management e-learning or something like that. So <laughs> I'm, I'm using that as my, you know, I'm not looking for the AI to support what it creates, but I'm, it's sometimes the stakeholders are sounding boards and this AI tool is a fantastic sounding board for things like that. So it's, it's, uh, I, I, I found it helpful to be able to have that conversation, if we're going to call it that even just this morning. I don't know that a lot of people are using AI in their daily life. Mm -hmm. um, and I know we're about ready to go on a break. Mm -hmm. So when we come back, I would love to hear what you're learning about that. Because Ben, do you use AI in your daily life? Do you use that GBT? Uh, I, I experiment with it. We're still on a, uh, on a, we're not on a first name basis yet. I just call oh, okay. it PT. <laughs> <laughs> for our listeners that are completely unfamiliar with it, I know some people are like, it's just easier for me not to even think about it, not even to, to dip my toe in the water. Uh, what do you say? What, what's your thoughts? Well, I, I got to be honest. I was there myself. And I, I, in fact, when I first played with it, I, I just thought, okay, I'll just ask it a question. And I asked the question kind of like I'd ask uh, a search engine, you know, a one sentence. And it came back with an okay answer. But I thought, well, Google could have done just as well as that. And so it really, it didn't really stand out to me. And then I saw people like writing poems and, you know, haikus and comedy sketches. And it can do all that, but it just it didn't seem all that practical. But then I started just paying attention a little bit more, like how can this affect the day-to-day? -day? Because even for the stories it writes, it's it's stinking amazing. I mean, it's, it is uh, remarkably amazing. But all of a sudden I started saying things like, um, I am a head of business outreach at a local community college. We have classes that can help our local businesses, but our local businesses don't think of our local community college. So what are 10 strategies that we can use to reach out to our local businesses? And then all of a sudden come up with strategies. And those are actually not so bad. Then you could say, something like uh, maybe pick one of them and say tell me more about this and then you can say and but this is all conversation it remembers everything you did before that then you could say write an email for how i could reach out to a company based on that idea and it writes a reasonably good email now with all of this i've never as long as i've been doing this now which I mean, ChatGPT has only been out since November, so it's not. No one's been doing this for years, really, at least with that tool. But I, I've never taken it as is. You know, it's really more of a sounding board, and then you copy and paste it, and then you go put it in Word, and they say, "How would I adjust it?" But that would be an example. So, so it's like in high school when you took the encyclopedia and you were trying to copy it for the for the paper, but you had to make it your own words there a little bit. <laughs> yeah, it's like going to Wikipedia for a term paper or something like that. Yeah. In fact, teachers are genuinely concerned. I teach an MBA class at Loyola's Business School, and I'm not worried about it, but I think undergrad and high school students are really concerned because if you say, write a report on blue whales or whatever. I mean, it'll do a really good report on that. But 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 that that's that's not what I'm interested in. What I'm interested in is how can business owners or how can professionals on a day-to-day -day basis, like let's say I have a difficult stakeholder. They are accusing me and my team of this. This is what was going on. So don't think of it like Google. 
think of it like you are <laughs> I'd like to think of it as if I had a sounding board, like a, a therapist <laughs> or, you know, my, uh, you know, uh, uh, is, I don't can't remember, Angie, your, your assistant's name is uh, Tracy G or whatever, but you've got, yeah, he's a, it's like a Tracy, right? And so, hey, Tracy, this is what I'm thinking. Uh, this is what's going on. And then all of a sudden, Tracy, who was fed the entire internet, responds back. Now, Tracy's pretty amazing, but there's there's nobody that has been fed the entire internet that can kind of... And I'm exaggerating, but it it has been trained on a good chunk of the internet, so it puts together insights that, uh, by the way, sometimes it's making stuff up, and so you don't want to do research on it currently. The current version of it, I mean, it'll make up study names, and so there's you 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 need to have a skeptical eye with it. But with certain with certain prompts like, um, what are topics that are related to taking personal risks? that would be interest to uh, professionals. And give me, give, me, uh, give me 10 article ideas for that. I'm sure Ben's in, ben, your mind is like stewing too. Like how might I use this to get ahead in life? Of course, that, I think everyone listening here, at least what I'm gathering from this is that, you know, what makes this particular, you know, ChatGPT AI great is not that you can ask it a question, it's that you can ask it a specific question. And the more specific you are with that question, the more unique the answer is going to be. And it's going to be, it's, it might not be perfect, but at least gives you something to think about, something to edit, something to, you know, maybe get your thoughts going in a different direction. If, I've, if I'm hearing you correctly there, Andy. Said it perfectly. And, and you take that idea. So the more specific you get, where on Google, you're not necessarily in, or any other search engine, you're not necessarily incented to get that detailed. You don't write sentences or paragraphs. In this one, you are, because then it gives more finely tuned. And one of the reasons why people bounce off of it and just don't go back to it is they don't get specific enough. And then the follow-up questions based on what that is there. And so you can have this ongoing conversation and it remembers the previous stuff. So it, um, we actually have an e-learning course that's going to be rolled out this month that, and we're going to make it super cheap. I mean, it's like $19 for people like, here's an intro to it. And I, I just feel like there's been so much hype over certain technologies for years. This one is legit. And then the way I like to think of it is it's not, it's not that it's going to take away people's jobs now, but the way people are thinking about it is somebody who's using this is going to take your job. And, and so it's like this assistant. It's interesting because I was um, listening to a podcast recently where Dan Pink was talking about his new book about left brain and right brain thinking and just the value of creativity. And so again, I imagine with your students that you're teaching too, just a reminder, like, the quality of input still is going to matter. So right. again, yeah. where you should be nurturing your time and attention is on the things that we've been talking about, mm -hmm. relationships, influence, trust, because you can't necessarily get that through a computer. And at the end of the day, you can get information from a computer, but you can't build right. trust, except, except I'm really interested in something that can hold track of all the conversations that we had. That might be something I need in my household. <laughs> Absolutely. Anyone's job who's easy to automate has always been at risk. And so that's something we all need to take into consideration. What's interesting on this one is it is taking some of the, like there are creatives out there that are nervous about this because the AI art is remarkably good. If somebody was doing SEO or someone was doing copywriting, this is remarkably good. So it will, but the way I like to think of it is don't think of it as a threat to your job as much as learn it and use it to make you even more awesome. Really, that's the idea. It's, it's a tool to help you. It's yeah, it's a tool we can't ignore. Almost like you know, everyone who uh, said email was a fad 
is you know they were they were behind for a while they had some catching up to do so i think it might be the same thing with the yeah. uh, the ai i have the funniest email story from college this is this is going to date me for a second here but i remember sitting freshman orientation them announcing that everybody at the university of michigan was going to get an email address and then they further went on to describe it pretty soon you will be able to attach um, your documents and send them to your professors rather than walking across campus. And all I could think about was, well, why would we do that? Right. That's like a really <laughs> bad idea. I could just walk across campus after I go to the computer center. So I'm a late adopter, basically, and technology is the <laughs> Well, and I think most people, in fact, it's not its not even a bad thing to be a late adopter in that let other people make the mistakes. I just think this is one of those that's different. Experiment. I think the key is experiment. It's not implement nearly as much as experiment. You know about project management. You know that it's also about people's skills. Uh, do you have a story or just general advice for like the common mistakes people make when they're trying to bet on themselves in terms of managing those projects and or relationships? Yeah, I'm glad you asked that question. I, I, CEO of a mid-sized company was walking me through her company, introducing me to some people. We get back to her office and she said, hey, do you remember that one project manager I introduced you to? And I said, yeah, yeah. I mean, I didn't know the person, but I just recalled she introducing. And she goes, he's the no guy. I'm like, what do you mean? She goes, it doesn't matter what question I ask him. The answer is no. <laughs> you know, can we add this scope? No, it's out of scope. Can you get to the meeting? No, I'm busy. Uh, are we hitting the date? No, it's just, it seems like, it's, I mean, I'm sure she's exaggerating, but it seems like every answer is no. And so I asked her the Dr. Phil question of, uh, well, how's that working for him? And she said, he's about ready to get fired. Now, even as I say that, I hesitate to say it because there are times where no is the right answer, right? If it's an ethical thing, if it's a, if it is a safety or a quality thing, there's times you have to say no. But in project management, there are all kinds of ways to say no without saying no. Like we can say, Yes, we can do that. Here's what we need from you. Just to find, I do that to find out how much skin they have in the game. Like, yeah, we can do that. We, or I'll say, we can do anything. We just can't do everything. You know? And so finding ways to prioritize. But I think the person who their default is no is, well, we could argue all kinds of things, but I think we could argue it's a fear-based stance where a bet on you stance is, tell me more. <laughs> Let's learn a little bit more about this. What are some trade-offs? What would it take? And my, my career, what I do now for a living is because I've got this, I've got like a core value of unless there's a compelling reason to say no, say yes. And that has led to so many opportunities. Every one of them fraught with risk. <laughs> Every one of them fraught with risk. But that single idea can help projects, but it can also help us with our career. And it's tied to the idea behind this podcast. You know, your knee jerk might be no, but the better answer to override is yes. Uh, we're going to transition, though, to our five favorite questions. And for those of you who can't see, Andy is behind like this wall of books. And you've spouted out so many different quotes and authors. So we know where you're reading. This is going to be a tough question for you. I would love to hear from you a book that was really influential to you and just how you think as a leader, as a project manager, what's been useful for you. So a book. Yeah. It's kind of like asking me for which is my favorite child or, you know, my, my, my favorite meal is the one I'm eating. And so usually my favorite book is the one I'm reading, but uh, I can say as far as books that have changed my habits, for example, or things I do differently. So I had the opportunity to interview James Clear a while back about atomic habits. So I would, no one will regret reading atomic habits. And, and it's still to this day, often on the number one slot of Wall Street Journal or New York Times. So it, it has a, 
it's had legs for years. But a, a book that's less known would be Come Up for Air. And it's just come out in recent months. Come Up for Air by Nick Sonnenberg. And so here's a little, here's a little informal quiz. There's no, no judgment zone. Okay. So before I read Nick's book, I had about roughly 3000 emails in my inbox of which any given day, 80 to 150 would be unread. Okay. So Angie, roughly, what are your numbers? Oh, I'm embarrassed to say I've got a pretty clean inbox, but I would say probably about 150 and about maybe 10 unread. Yeah. Okay. So that's good, Ben. How about you? What would you say? I don't know. Uh, how, ooh, let me just bring it up real quick here. I'm, I'm curious now the, uh, right now I have about, uh, 17 unread emails and I have no idea how many I got today. Yeah, no, see the two of you are in really good shape there, but I wasn't, I wasn't in good shape and it was starting to slip my responsiveness and things like that. Anyway, come up for air, Nick Sonnenberg. It, um, I've been at zero inbox every day because of the stuff that he talks about. He's got simple little habits. He's got all kinds of it's very practical, all kinds of things of what do you do? It's almost like an operating system for, for a business, but you could, it could also work for a team. So my team does communication different because of it. So Atomic Habits, it's a win. You need to do it. Nick is, is something that is lesser known, but it's, it's a really good book. Next question here. If you could go back in time to your younger self and give that young man some advice, what would it be? Um... I would say, and it depends on how far back we go, but in my late twenties and my early thirties, I, I went through a period of anxiety that I had never experienced before. And I, I, it, to me, it was, although I think to the average, I, in fact, I don't know if anybody around me knew it, you know, but it was, it was one of those things where upon retrospect, I think a lot of it really came down to adulting, you know, and, and making, you know, through tr that transition in life. But I think, I think a key thing I would say to a younger self is most of the stuff you're worried about, is not going to happen. And of the stuff that will, it won't be so bad. And almost everybody goes through periods like this and you're going to be okay. And I, I think, I, I think, you know, as much as I thought things were great when I was in my teens, I think another message I'd say to the younger self is it gets even better. Like I, I'm, I'm 62 and I got to tell you, I, I so love what I do that if I could, if I could do this, if they could wheel me into a classroom at 85 and I can still talk and give a coherent thoughts, I want to do it because it only gets better. It's, I think we fear age and the single biggest thing, let me just say this last thing. The reason why I don't feel bad about being 62 is, and I don't remember where I learned this idea, but 10 years from now, I would do anything to be 62. Right. <laughs> whatever, whatever, whatever age you are, 10 years from now, you do anything to be what age you are now. And so enjoy that moment. And for some reason, that, re that reframe. It, oh, that's a great reframe. I would love to hear from you, Andy, to um, a piece of feedback that you were provided at one point in your career that was illuminating. It could have been constructive feedback. It could have been positive feedback, but something that was really illuminating for you. There's a guy reported to me really smart, uh, but brutal on people. And at one point I told him, Ken, you're a great guy, but you leave a body, you leave bodies in your wake. You got to stop doing it. Anyway, it was, it was pretty brutal feedback. And I kind of forgot that I gave him that feedback. Okay. And I know your question is feedback I've gotten, but that was feedback I gave him. He got back to me. It was about 15 years later. And he told me, I hated it when you gave me that feedback, 
but I've been telling people for 15 years, that's exactly what I needed to hear. And it was the best feedback I had ever gotten, the best coaching. No one had told me what I really needed to hear. And so the reason why I'm sharing that is feedback to me was whether it's nature or nurture, I would probably more likely sugarcoat the feedback when someone is not doing what they need to feed forward, you know, you know, but in that case, it was more feedback, more direct, and some people need to hear it straight between the eyes, you know? And, and I think that feedback freed me up to be more direct when I need to be. Good stuff. What is a game-changing life hack? And this can be around project management. This can just be something fun in your life, but something you've discovered recently that's been a game-changer for you. Uh, you know, the, the big thing in Nick Sonnenberg's thing is when you get an email, um, archive it or snooze it. Okay. That's the right two things. That's a, that's a simple little, simple little hack, but more life hack maybe would be, my kids get sick of me saying this, but, uh, they will hear it almost every week or, or they even joke about it now life is and not, or dad, I know life, life is and not, or, and I think too often we frame things up as ors. Do I do this or do I do that? And there's almost always some and, or, a way to look at that, that life hack, it's a variation of, unless there's a compelling reason to say no, say yes. There's often a way to, to say yes and, and get a little bit of both. I love that. Again, we're such binary thinkers sometimes, yes or no, A or B, when we have a whole area to explore. Final question, what do you do to get yourself out of a funk, Andy? You seem like a positive person, but I know everybody has their days. Mm -hmm. What do you do to get out of your funk? Okay. So I, I learned this from um, Sarah Rob O'Hagan. She wrote a book called Extreme You. She's a, she's a Kiwi and she's like, the book is about her failures. It's one of the most transparent books I've ever seen. And I don't, I don't remember who gave her this advice, but it's helped me. She goes, when you screw up, give yourself 24 hours to wallow and be miserable and to feel the feels. And so I, I, I coach uh, youth basketball. I'll do the same thing. Hey, listen, we have a bad win. I'm going to feel really ticked. And, all right, but give yourself 24 hours. And after 24 hours, pick yourself up and just move beyond it. And the, I think the perspective allows you to feel the feels. So you're not, you know, you're not just shoving it down, but it also says, I'm not going to let a bad day turn into a bad week, turn into a bad year, turn into a life. And I'm not trying to dismiss anyone's trauma or things like that, but so, I'm amazed at how, that one thing holds people back for years. And so that, that simple little hack, give yourself 24 hours, <laughs> 24 hours, time and permission to feel the feels the, uh, and, and one more little bonus question here for all of our listeners who want to learn more about Andy Kaufman, where do they go? How do they find you? What, how can you make their life better? Yeah. You know, uh, first of all, listen to this podcast right here. Okay. And then if you really enjoy podcasts, the people in projects podcast, it really has very little to do with project management. It's mostly leadership and influence. You hear great people like Angie. All right. So she'll be our next episode actually goes out. And uh, we have a, we have a program called lead 52 where you get an email that you can read in five minutes once a week. That's the 52 for 52 weeks. It's free. There's no charge to it, but what you get is a leadership idea that you can read in five minutes once a week, goes to our global community of leaders and everyone in the whole global community is working on that idea that week. And so getlead52.com is the website for that. It's all free. Well, thank you so much, Andy. Great episode. I took a ton of notes and look forward to staying connected. And also folks, 
Connect with Andy on LinkedIn. He has great guidance that he shares frequently. Andy, thanks again for being on today. Thank you, Angie. Thank you, Ben. Wasn't that such a great episode, Ben? I was so happy. Andy was talking about this David Rock work of SCAR. For those of you who are not familiar with it, it's David Rock. He's an amazing researcher, scientist. He talks about psychological safety. I know you were excited during the break, Ben, because that's been an important piece with the work that you do too. Oh, I know. It was so exciting. We covered two of the letters, but we didn't have time to get into all of them. But we encourage everyone to look up David Rock. If you want to kind of just improve your communication style and the way you relate to people, uh, you want to keep Scarf in mind. It's absolutely good. The other thing, as Angie, you know, sometimes I struggle with procrastination. And what really resonated with me was what he said is he felt that he performed better under pressure. But what he said is what you're feeling is more urgency under pressure, but it doesn't necessarily mean you work better. And so I just, I don't even know exactly what I'm extrapolating out of that, but I know I'll be thinking about it for quite a while. It was really, really, really great stuff. It's the lies we tell ourselves, why we put things <laughs> off, because we think. And so I think that's a thing. And I, hopefully, as you were listening to um, out there, that you took us some few tips and ideas away that can help you put the goals that you have in your mind into practice, into action. I like those, getting those big stakes in the ground, taking those big goals and creating milestones. So. Thank you all so much just for experiencing this Bet On You Radio podcast. Ben and I just enjoyed having Andy here. And Ben, why don't you send us off? Yeah, friends, remember, life is about and. It is not about or or no. And I hope you all have an absolutely fantastic week. Come back next week when we'll be here on Bet On You Radio. Bet On You Radio.